Gaming on the Frontier. This is Trab. And this is Jonathan. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast of kissing that squiggly face you love so much. Yeah, but how many sets Yeah, but how many sets of lips do you have to actually kiss on that head? Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier. This week I I didn't know what to do with that. (laughs) Okay. I wasn't gonna make a hentai joke, so Oh, okay, yes. Yes, tentacles. They're they're not just for breakfast anymore. Uh, Dude! <laughs> anyways, yes, we are talking about tentacles this week, but it's not hente. Uh, it is, in fact, the, uh, the, the thought experiment put forth by Trav as what if Mind Flayers invaded Bureau 13, otherwise known as Paranormal Earth. So... Uh, I'm going to hand this over to Trav and let you go. All right. Thank you, Bruce. All right. Uh, Mind flares. We all know what they are. Those Cthuloid, basically octopi men. You know, they have strange mental powers. They deal with things often created by weird non-Euclidean geometry and genetics and you know, you look at them, you go saying, there's another game that talks more about them. Yes, we all know what that game is. But cult? the flare, what? Cult? Yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, yes, the mind flares, if you are any type of tabletop gamer and you haven't at least heard of the concept of the mind flares, You're missing out on a wonderful, probably a little more wonderful for the game master than the players, but you're missing out on a wonderful opportunity. And so it came up, this thought experiment. What if the Mind Flayers, or as they're also known as the Illithid, were to try to invade the Earth of Bureau 13, or Paranormal Earth, as Rich put it in the Portals books, Positive 13 Primes universe? Well... Some background on that, as mostly out of game. As you know, as I got to head up the Bureau 13 OGL project, I added in something that is now canon. Now, this is a, a book and PDF. Yes, it's available from drivethroughrpg.com. You can get the hard copy from noblenight.com. It is called The Second World Sourcebook. It is a D20 book by Stephen Palmer Peterson, And it's about multi-genre gaming. Now, the big setting in this book is known as The Second World, an alternate fantasy Earth where things are at once recognizable and very different. And I got to add this setting to Bureau 13 because if you go on page two of the book, in the lower right-hand corner, you have this little thing called open content. Now, we all know the open game license. It blew up the, the tabletop gaming world in 2000 when Wizards Coast put it out. Well, Stephen Palmer Peterson wanted his setting and the rules 
so both the crunch text and the fluff text to be shared. And this is the open content license on page two. With the exception of Second World Simulations, the name of the company, all text in this book is designated open game content. This is an experiment of sorts, sharing not just game mechanical elements, but also story elements via an open license. Hopefully you or the others will find some of the ideas in here compelling enough that you'll want to expand on them, either in fiction or in game material. There was a Second World Simulations forum years ago, which I believe you can still access via the Internet Archive. I believe that is archive.org. As you are still able to access the second-world-simulations.com site that had all of the various little PDFs that had to do with this book. I contacted Mr. Peterson while I was working on B13OGL, and he said, yeah, yeah, the license is there, but I'm glad you asked. So I put elements of the second world into Bureau 13 OGL. Now, since then, Bruce and John and Pixie and I, uh, if you refer to, and the, this is old gaming on the Frontier episodes, episodes 376 and 377, 396 and 97, and 405 and 406, the first pair deal with using the second world sourcebook rules with Bureau 13, and then the other two sets are actually the setting. So between me putting, you know, having that put in Bureau 13 OGL, and then the stuff that we've extrapolated upon on those six episodes of the podcast, along with two of them concerning Fringeworthy, because I placed the second world on a different fringe world, we thought, okay, flares are mentioned in the second world source book. They are a real presence there. They are the boogeyman to these people who live otherwise on this fantasy earth, which has at the most maybe 1500s era technology. So it is a quasi-medieval world. You've got some gear things like crossbows and clocks and whatnot. And, you know, it's, you know, eat your vegetables and your gruel or the, or the flares will get you, you know, that type of thing. But in the second world, they are very, very real. So, Second World Sourcebook, and I, and I just lost the page. Okay, starting on 226 of the book, they start talking about how the flares are. And besides the sidebar mind flares in the Second World, they also bring up this, well, organization. And a bit of connection here, seven in the Second World source book, that's just Bureau 13 on the Second World. They just gave it a, we're just saying they gave it a different name. But there is another organization that operates between Paranormal Earth and the Second World, which I believe I put it at negative 103 prime. And they call themselves Mode Gamma. They are a group of psionics which fight fire with fire. The Mind Flayers use all sorts of psionics and psychic powers. Mode Gamma has people that are mostly psionics of one order or another. And I don't believe in Bureau 13 OGL the psionics were able to shift you from plane to plane. Because they, uh, I believe John used a variant of the... John did the psionic system, John Ryer. He did a variant on the D20 Modern Urban Arcana type psionics. So the flares, you can just say, yeah, they've made portals to go between the second world and paranormal Earth. But Mode Gamma are the, you know, they're, they're, 
use the MIB line, the first, best, and last line of defense. And they have groups called FCEs, or Flare Countermeasure Experts. Basically, they're the ones that go down into the dark and deal with things that man were, were not supposed to know. So, yeah, flares. Oh, here is something else. And this is an, a, a licensing thing. Wizards of the Coast decided to make both mine flares and a lithid product identity. This means you cannot use those terms unless you are writing for Wizards of the Coast. So many names have been come up. We know them as the flares. Let's see. Uh, I believe Mr. Peterson referred to them as cortical reavers. And I'm looking at the, the, the side PDF he did for some adventure. I go, okay, I see what you did here. And then I found out later why. Now, because Bureau 13's last incarnation is OGL, the D20 mechanic, which is, it's D20 modern. You can upgrade that or change it to Pathfinder first edition. Paizo has the PDF for it. Remember, folks, I've converted a character from second edition all the way to Pathfinder in 15 minutes. Pixie was a witness. It was her character. So if you are using more updated rules, and I do believe D20 Modern does have stats for Mind Flayers, but if you are playing Bureau 13 OGO and using Pathfinder rules, because Pathfinder does clean up the 3035 rules very well. Okay. There uh, is... Trap, oh, trap. Yep. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, there's been a lot of different versions of, uh, of Mind Flayers. So is there in one in particular that you prefer? Oh, yeah. I, I, was, getting, I was just getting that. Okay. Um, Dr Dreamscard Press did two books. Ultimate Psionics, which, Bruce, I've talked to you about it before. It's a rehash of the expanded Psy handbook from uh, 3.0 D&D. They, they redid the rules and everything. And a companion book to that, Psionic Bestiary, has come up with a new non-product identity version of the Flayers. They're known as Freenic Scourges. And obviously, they had to change the form. It's like, well, instead of a humanoid with the tentacle mouth, it's a mass of tentacles in a robe. But they're flares. Just go with it. So I kind of prefer those. I mean, my players all know that they are mine flares, and I used them for quite a while, and they kind of got sick of them. <laughs> I, I could hear Pixie's eye roll over Skype. Um, but yeah, I, those are the ones I use now because I use Pathfinder 1E rules for my games. So yeah. In the second world si simulations lit, they call them cortical reavers. Dreamscard Press calls them Freenix Scourges. And I think they even did Freenix Scourges in 3035 because they were doing third-party stuff for Wizards back when 3035 was there. So that was their version even back in 3035. So if you are using the older rules with like D20 Modern, you can substitute the Phoenix Scourges for the Mind Flayers in D20 Modern. So, but yes, um, Bureau 13 would have contacts in the Second World. And again, it's the Bureau known as Habrek 7. If you have the Second World source book, it's on 228, they start. As a matter of fact, it's right after Mode Gamma. So there is a line of defense against a massive Mind Flayer invasion 
Problem is, the Flayers, from what I understand in the reading, yeah, they already have bases in the first world. And they take humans, so yeah. Oh yeah, it's just another homeless person missing. Meanwhile, they're trapped in some underground cell with a mind flayer made arm on them now, you know. So yeah, the flares they've probably been around on Bureau 13 Earth for quite a while, considering one of the things they do is live a long time. Flares have that unique bio, that weird, as I said, that non-weird, non-weird, weird non-Euclidean geometry and their weird uh, symbiont graphs and all the weird chaos tech that you know of from from Cthuloid games. These flayers have it. So they're already doing experiments on people. And again, they'll take the people that are that are missing. Also, flayers or have this... they'll take the people who aren't going to be missed. Well, right, yeah, that's what I mean. That Like, homeless people, yeah. runaways... Just, yeah, and also something that flayers do, and I think Phoenix uh, scourges do it as well. They enthrall. In other words, you are their and you are their slave from top to bottom. The only way you get out of this is either if that if that flayer dies or you do. The flayers might have friends in high places. Do the math on this, folks. They they probably would realize, oh, if we get control of this particular politician. We can control this small town. Or, like in the second world, oh, if we get this tribe's shaman under our control, we control them because he controls the people through his spirituality. The flayers, they do two things really well. They play the secret game, and they play the long game. So any invasion into Bureau 13 Earth would have been decades, if not longer, in the making. Just they would have been planning and plotting and enthralling people in places that they need to. Yeah, it, I I would really think that this would be something. This would not be a. Oh, we're just going to do this. No. Decades, if not centuries, of planning because they are like that. And when we came up with this idea, I realized, oh yeah, the flares are in the second world. So that's why I'm bringing all this second world information into this because this is another way yet to link the second world into Bureau 13 Earth as I started doing in the OGL product. So yeah, um, there is Mode Gamma, the group of psionics who know about flares, and you have Habrex 7 or 7, Bureau 13 on the second world. They would know better than anybody if the flares are a-coming because they would contact Bureau 13 back on the first world, as Positive 13 Prime is called. And they'd be, uh, yeah, we have a problem. It has tentacles. Be ready. Yeah, and no. <laughs> Make sure you got the side dampeners ready, because, yeah. So, yeah, I, I see uh, th this could be a good campaign arc, because, as I said, the flares mess with people's heads. Bureau agents tend to be a little paranoid anyway, so, you know, who better to fight them? Matter of fact, I think even fourth level, the Bureau agent, you get a plus two to your initiative because you are constantly paranoid. So, see, this works out. And and it's funny because I'm looking here on all the, the stuff for Habrek, or not Habrek, Mode Gamma, the organization that Strat, they have holdings in the first world. So, Mode Gamma would be an 
well, sort of a probably a private agency because it's not a government agency. They started in, well, let's see, I'm trying to remember here what world they started in. They started in the second world and then came over to the first world. And so they, they got themselves there. They managed to avoid exile, which if you're a member of the second, if you're a citizen of the second world, you go to the first world, you're going to snap back to the second world in a matter of maybe a couple of days. If you are exiled from the first world, you are erased from the first world's history and you become a citizen of the second world. And then if you try to go home, first of all, no one remembers you. Second of all, you get snapped back in a couple of days. I put in the thing that if you become a bureau agent, your time in Bangor, Maine for that year counteracts the exile. It's something about the dimensional magic. So bureau agents can traverse freely from Bureau 13 Earth to Second World and back because they've negated the, the chance for exile. So yeah, um, about Habre or I keep about Mode Gamma. Besides their use of psionics, where psionics work both in the first and second world easily. Magic, you can use magic, but you know how the Bureau 13 is with their wands and staves. The wands and staves help them use magic easier. Say, like, add a plus five or plus ten to the spellcraft roll to cast a spell. Psionics work just fine in Bureau 13 Earth. Usually what you got to do is you got to try to deaden them with, like, side deadening drugs, which the Bureau has. So, Mode Gamma... Not only do they have psionics and psionic items, they also can help you get not only messages to the first world and back, but you can also actually, they have, I believe the scion term, the discipline would be the nomad. They have people that can teleport agents and whatnot between the two worlds. So they, Mode Gamma would be instrumental if there was a flare invasion of Bureau 13 Earth because they would be the, the, the transporters. They would be the people who, you know, pull people out when they're being trapped and everything. And so, yeah, Mode Gamma would be the large force to help Bureau 13 in this invasion as far as not only intel, but just manpower and resources. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll wrap this up real quick here as far as what they can give. Um, if you use either the Expanded Psy Handbook or Ultimate Psionics from Dreamscard Press, uh, they have anywhere from 6 to 12 level, uh, level 12 Scions artificing psionic items for them. Power Stones, Arms and Armor, Psionic Tattoos, and, well, Universal Items, which would be wondrous items for magic. So Mode Gamma has psionic equipment that can be made and given to Bureau 13 to help out with taking the battle to the Mind Flayers to protect Paranormal Earth. So yeah, my 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 addition to this thought experiment would be use Mode Gamma. These size that come from the second world have holdings on the first world and they kind of maintain surveillance on both to make sure that flares and other weird aberrations don't get too too bound up in wanderlust, let's say. You mean obvious? Well, the flares are oh no, the flares don't do obvious. They as I said, they play the long game, so they've got the secretive nature down cold. They will sit there and enthrall people. If they want to interact with the people on the surface, 
they'll find somebody and enthrall them and have them be their eyes and ears. Because usually the flayers can see through, use the senses of their thralls to find out things about the, the surface world. So yeah, I, I, I definitely see that they would use stealth and, well, uh, I'm blanking on the term, clairvoyance and clairaudience to gain intel on paranormal Earth to see how these modern-day humans are and what they can do to try to, you know, take over this world from within. Yeah, I really like the idea of mind flayers and invading modern Earth, in, in paranormal Earth, simply because I, I'm a sucker for ancient conspiracies and hidden alien masterminds. Oh, and these guys uh, are about as ancient as you can get, yeah. Yeah, He's got yeah I mean... Even if, if you if you don't want to use any of these extra source books, all you have to keep in mind for Bureau 13 is these things are alien. You can tell at a glance that these things are not human and they do not belong here. They are incredibly psionically gifted. Uh, you know, only the, the, the unique individual human will probably ever match them equally on a, a psionic level, but... That's why you have side dampeners and other neat little toys. Um, they they are experts at hiding, you know, underground in abandoned buildings in the sewers, where wherever people don't want to go, that's where they live. And they're experts at, as you said earlier, enthralling subjects to become their hands on the surface. Well, there is and, and there it, is something there is something else that is in the, the sidebar that begins the Mode Gamma article on two twenty six in the Second World Source book, and it's called Mind Flayers in the Second World. I will just read this one small paragraph because there's a lot more. I don't want to, you know, the whole thing. It, it's somebody seeing a flayer trying to infiltrate. He looked just like Mark, all except that odd bit on his arm where the skin folded over in kind of a wrinkle. Then it smiled, or something, and a swarm of ropey tentacles with sharp little rings of teeth at the end slithered out. That was enough for me, so I cut the thing open and its inside spilled all over the floor, writhing there like a pile of partially digested snakes. Oddly, though, they lacked any odor. It was as if they took this pile of tentacles and poured it into a mark suit, and it somehow gained sentience that way. We can just chalk that up to the weird non-Euclidean geometry and genetics that the flares use in their, what, the, what stands for science... <laughs> yeah, and they'll get a Mark suit or a Betty suit or a Jonathan suit or <laughs> a Bruce suit or a Robert suit. You know, <laughs> so yeah, they they will just and this works especially well with the Freenix scourges. At, all they are is a pile of tentacles, and one of the powers that these Freenix scourges can do are they can squeeze down to where they can slide out through a crack in the door. A meal slot in a cell is nothing for them. Needless to say, they get a massive bonus on, like, escape artist checks. But let's say they did something to hollow out this mark. That Phoenix Scourge just squeezes down, goes through their mouth, repositions itself. Hey, I have a new mark suit. I can go out in public now. And that's, so that's another way, if they really want to get the up-close recon, they just put on a human suit, i.e. a human with nothing in it, it's just, you know, a bag of skin and walk around in broad daylight. Now, I mean, granted, they're probably this a little stronger. Me, hmm? This makes me think of uh, Men in Black. He was wearing an Edgar suit. Yeah, yeah. 
Now I'm just remember the whole thing where he's trying after the, yeah. the flashy thing, he's telling the woman, and you want to decorate because damn. <laughs> <laughs> go get some new shoes. Yeah, go to Bloomies. Yeah, right. Pretty dress. <laughs> but yeah, I I never thought that they would actually, you know, that they did everything on the down low. But the, I read this article when I first got that book. I'm like, and, I, and I've had the Second World Source book for years, folks. I've been using it now for the better part of a decade in my games. It's become, at least in my campaigns, indispensable. I mean, there are certain things now my players know, okay, we're using the influence points and the occupations and the organizations here and the favors and converting their because i use wealth for the wealth system from d20 monitor for everything i i've pretty much given up on the you know counting every gold piece so you can convert the uh, it's like one influence point equals a thousand gold pieces and that's what they use to buy magic items high-tech stuff favors and yeah the, the the fact that and i came up with this saw this flare article and i mean they even you know will sit there and pick through the brain of the person that they have taken over because they kind of go in and they grow. Now the Phoenix scourges, they have this, they have the tentacles and it'll break off and the person will dig in and it'll eat the brain and then take over the person. And then you got, you know, the guy in the Mark suit, I will give you this game rule. If you try to mess with them and try to figure out if they're real, uh, let's see here. Mind flayers exhibit psionic powers and they typically know most of what their suits previous owner knew but not everything, so you can trip them up with a successful bluff check against their sense motive. They receive a plus two circumstance bonus to their check due to their telepathic powers. Yeah. So basically, yeah, you can try to lie to them and see if they get it, but they do get that plus two because they do have remnants of the previous occupant of said suit. We'll put it that way. So yeah, um, if they decide, if you want to use the flare in the human suit, thing they have give them a bit of a bonus in whatever system you use to avoid being lied to where the player's like ah no that's not joe kill him you know they do get they should get a little bit of a bonus because they do have vestiges of that person's thoughts in their head to help them be undercover better yeah joe yeah i know that he worked at this shop and he has a wife and kids and okay yeah what's your wife's name what are your kids names when, where do you go to lunch every day? They would know these things. Because one of the last things they did before they ate brain was Rolodex through it. Wait a minute, Rolodex. Uh, <laughs> went through the files completely. Let me put, yeah. <laughs> this is, does anybody still Little have one of those? That, uh, it, it, it's a term that Eric the Enabler used when you, when we, ever we'd have a character do a mind probe on an NPC. And he'd be, yeah, just Rolodex through it. And my daughter looked and said, yeah. huh? And I looked, I yeah. said, ask your grandma, Marilyn. Yeah. yeah. And while you're at it, why don't you give me a jingle on the Amici? Yeah. <laughs> can you send me a fax about that when you're done? Yeah. Well, no, they still use faxes, so, yeah. 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 Unfortunately. But, yeah, so, so, yeah, the flares, that is another way that these flares could get out and about and do their own recon would be actually one of these people they capture. Just, well... Yeah, you know, it's sort of their psychic version of taking a melon baller and scooping all of the previous person out and then wearing them. They just happen to, you know, now eat I'm the hungry. brain and yeah. Now, yeah, now I'm really hungry. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we should have. Might want to put in that. <laughs> Trav's talking. You might want to not be eating. It's going to get gross. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, these are the things I came up with as far as how to do mind flares in, excuse me, invading the Earth of Bureau 13. And I mean, you can have two options. One, yeah, they came from the stars. Somebody did a ritual and, or what's the term? The stars were right. The planets were in alignment. And some kitchen witch brings an elder god to suburbia. Or <laughs> you can do it via the second world, which between the second world source book, the stuff that I started putting in Bureau 13 OGL, and again, episodes 376 and 77, 396 and 97, and 405 and 406. This is how we came up with this thought experiment for all of you. Okay. Uh, now, is it, weren't Mind Flayers like a big race in Starjammers? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. The start, the uh, Spelljammer. Oh, yeah. They oh, yeah. had their own part of space and they came in their, oh, what was the name? Nautiloids. Nautiloids. Yes. Basically, these ships with the octopi tentacles that it was kind of like their own version of a grappler. They would get close to a ship and just grab onto it and then boarding could occur. And they were living ships, so yeah, you, you also had the fact that they, because again, the weird bioscience, the weird biotech that they had, they grew their ships. And actually, if you're um, a fan of PC games, uh, Baldur's Gate 3, minor spoiler, you start on a nautiloid. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, that whole yeah, intro a, a into... A prisoner. Yeah, that whole intro into uh, uh, in Baldur's Gate 3 is... is one of the better representations, I think, of uh, of a mind flayer. Though I personally am, even though he's not a mind flayer, I really always thought of, of Davy Jones from the uh, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh series. yeah, yeah, Bill Knight, Bill Knight's character. Yeah, yeah, but that whole yeah, squiggly, yeah. squirmy thing going on all the time with his face always said mind flayer to me. So if you're if you're if you're looking for something that is, uh, you know, because a lot of times, you know, because of the way it's you see static images, you see video games where they don't want to animate everything because, you know, it takes time to do that. And in, in early versions of games, it was like expensive in terms of microprocessing. Uh, but uh, so you didn't see all that animation going on. But really, there is no reason why there would you know that these these tentacles on the faces of these creatures aren't constantly in motion, just as you know you know your own face is constantly in motion whenever you're talking or doing anything. You're gesturing your hands; they gesture with tentacles. You know you. I mean, I could just see how you know, like we would like clap our hands over our mouths. Their tentacles suddenly clap close over their mouths if they said something you know in, embarrassing to themselves or use use. Did I say that out loud? I was actually telepathically sending that to my memoirs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of thing. So, uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, but the reason I mentioned this um, spell jammers was because uh, I mean, you know, there are. Besides kitchen witches and, 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 and things like that, I mean, it's possible through dimensional shifting uh, of, one, uh, of one kind or another to cross from um, the worlds that are infringe-worthy and therefore we've already claimed them as uh, essentially some of the worlds that were star jammers could operate 
and therefore they're literally in the met you know multiverse that these games operate in so there's no reason why through some rift or um, you know uh, cosmic explosion or something like that you couldn't get a whole ship uh, now I don't know how they would handle you know being I mean in the Bureau 13 world be fine because magic still works okay I don't know how the physics of the lift of the lift wood and stuff would work because you don't have a um, uh, a a, uh, a crystal sphere to operate in anymore but I'm pretty sure that mind flayers would be able to do enough levitation or whatever to be able to continue to, to get their ships someplace where they could uh, they could operate from. And remember, oh, yeah. and yeah. remember that the world is like eighty percent covered with water. There's lots. Oh of, yeah, there are lots of places out there that something could, as long as it's not coming in as a fiery meteor, could land and nobody would see it happen, especially at night. You know, there's places in the United States where something could crash land and nobody would notice it. And yeah, I can easily see a nautiloid appearing in like Earth's orbit by accident, uh, or design. Maybe I mean these these things are supposedly able to you know shift between dimensions anyway. Again, look to Baldur's Gate's Baldur's Gate's three introduction. Um, it accidentally appears in Earth orbit. Maybe the Bureau's space defense uh, satellites take it down, but as all it takes is like a few to survive. Yeah. And, Just a few to make it to ground level, and well, you've got a problem. Not only kind that, of like yeah. a Melor infestation. Right, but not only that, you've already talked about how long-lived these creatures are. You go back 200 years, there's no defense. Yeah, exactly. that's what I mean. They probably would have come here they you know, because it's already stated in the Mode Gamma introduction that, yeah, flares have been on the first world. They've got their underground layers deep down. They come up, they take people either for experimentation or use them as suits. And so, yeah, they probably have been here, as I said, decades, if not centuries. And with how, because we all know that technically the source from which we get all of this, the stories by H.P. Lovecraft, and Robert Howard, the man who did Conan and Cimmeria and Hyboria, that is considered a shared universe. So the, the, the flares elithid, deep one, dark ones, whatever you want to call them, whatever you're using for your game. The Phrenic hegemony is what is in the Psionic Bestery by Dreamscard Press, where it's the pile of tentacles in the robe. Again, they couldn't use the term flares or elithid, so they came up with this new version. Whatever version you have, they've been around since the beginning of time. And then they find this little backwater planet with, ooh, look, Fresh stock, this new sentient life form with nice, convoluted, juicy brains has formed. I think we'll camp here for a while. We have a ready food source. We won't starve. So, yeah. Nom, nom, nom. Nom, 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 yeah. So, the flares probably would have been here for quite some time, just relaxing. And then somebody, due to industrialization, and they bring even bring up in Mode Gamma, uh, both in the first and second world, how communication, nascent, nascent globalization, industrialization, and transportation technologies cause both of these worlds to grow. After a while, a human is going to explore and find some cave and find something with slimy and tentacles down there, and the flares are going to realize our, our time being quiet is over. 
they found us. It's time to make some moves. Yes. And again, with how these guys, because usually flares are genius level intellects. The dumbest one would probably be, you know, our genius level, which is like, you know, 150, 160 IQ. These things are easily a 180 IQ on a bad day. And being long lived, you gain a sense of strategy and tactics. It's how you survive. So they would have been planning for the contingency for when the humans would find them. And that was probably when the invasion would begin. All right. So what do you think? Let's say the humans do find out or the Bureau finds out that there are colonies of, of uh, Blyphids uh, on the uh, planet. What's what's their uh, what's their game plan? Well, how does the Bureau plan on uh, identifying them? defeating them, rounding them up? What's what's the plan? Well, again, uh, Mode Gamma has holdings in both New Yorks, our New York City, and in the Second World, New York City is known as the City of Runes because the power of the Rune Warden, which is one of the 12 great powers on the Second World, let's see, Dream, Feral, Flesh, Gate, Lightning, Metal, Motion, Shadow, Vector, Pattern, Tone, Rune. Those 12 forces, the power of the Rune, the written magical symbol that bestows powers, is based in that New York City. Mode Gamma has offices in the same geographical spot in both Earths. So they, they would know, again, they would be the first line of defense and because Mode Gamma knows of seven on the second world, they would already know, yeah, the Bureau office is about six blocks north. They would contact the Bureau and say, we have a problem. Yeah, they're coming. So Mode Gamma most likely, if they find out due to their scouts who have all sorts of um, clairvoyant powers and getting weird visions of, you know, the flares attacking and they wake up in a cold sweat. Yeah, they're going to... Or you could have the occasional mage have some weird divination, you know, because remember, we have in the Bureau two R&D departments, one for magic, one for psi. I believe Operation Magnus is our magical division, and Operation Geller is our psi R&D division. So we've got mages and psi standing by. One of them will pick up something. They will find out that some weird presence is in some town somewhere. And they'll probably end up sending a team to investigate. Where the team, you know, they if they would manage to call in and they say, okay, this is what it is. We need to find, you know, we need to figure out how to take these guys out. Because they'll take over this whole town. And flares... Especially if, if they've been around since, like, time immemorial. Uh, immemorial. Um... There could easily be like some secret society out there that's its only purpose was it discovered their existence and it's been preparing for the day when the world could take them on. Yeah, that and would so be Mode Gamma. They'd be the yeah, yeah. Mode Gamma. They started the Bureau, in the second world, but they got first world access now. Yeah, the the Bureau stumbles across one of their ancient supply caches or even just a a, a temple slash library that that held held their knowledge. 
and goes, and at first it's like, oh, well, look at this superstition from this ancient civilization. And then they find an actual mind player somewhere, and it's like, oh, that. that yeah, uh, let's see. I'm, I'm looking here for the description of about when Mode Gamma started. Okay, there were very, from what I understand here, the Second World had various little cabals of psionics that they carved out their own little territories. And I'm guessing in the Second World, back 19th century, all the way up into the 1920s, it was what they call a war of consolidation. Basically, little psionic groups and cabals were fighting against each other to be the, the you know, big man on, on the hill. And Mode Gamma, named after the psionic subfrequency they employ to minimize the first world suppressing effect. They're the group that came out on top, and they really started coming into their own, uh, says middle of the 20th century. So we'll say about 70 years ago. So Mode Gamma's been doing this now. They're actually about half as, huh, yeah, about half as experienced as the Bureau. Because remember, the Bureau's been around since the mid-1860s. Mo Gamma's only been around yeah. for 70. But they specialize in not only psionic phenomena, but aberration, containment, and combat. Because they use the same powers that the the flayers do. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay, but see, you know, if you're playing Bureau 13, you're going to want to play a Bureau 13, probably, you know, agent. You're not going to be wanting to play these mode gamma guys so you know I, i'm going to return to my question which is how um uh you know how does the bureau deal with with this threat how, how what's what's their methodology and how is it different than mode gamma okay i would well i would probably have a mode gamma representative contact the bureau and that would be first of all you know that would be their their first knowledge of mode gamma because remember a lot of the information the bureau is need to know unless a bureau team has had to deal with mode gamma before they're probably not going to know about it unless they somehow hear it from another team like oh the michigan team talks to the ohio team and you know oh yeah there's this group called mode gamma they're in toledo you might get a contact from them because of how close toledo is to to the michigan border okay if not it would probably be a mode gamma representative coming to the bureau saying we have a problem yeah i'm so and so for mode gamma what's mode gamma well let me tell you so yeah you would probably have that npc come in and introduce your bureau team the player characters to this impending flare threat that would probably be the best way just you know kind of throw them in the deep end just say yeah okay this just have the npc that you know does the exposition okay and say okay this there's this there's this there's this yes right this is what's coming okay so i understand the info dump but i'm saying is at that point how does the bureau deal with the threat versus how mode gamma might be dealing with the threat what's the different what's the difference in What's the difference in methodology and response? First, the very first one is, is it does, is the Bureau going to look at this and say, hey, we have a secret, we have a secret organization here. We don't want to get into open warfare. So what are going to, what are going to be the, the, uh, you know, uh, 
rules of engagement? Are they going to create, you know, try to cut some kind of deal with the uh, the mind flayers to say, this is how we're going to fight you. This is how you fight us. Because if you go public, then you're going to get the army and the Navy and, and, and nuclear weapons and things like that coming down your throat. Is that going to happen? Well, as I said, the flayers do everything in secret. They don't leave witnesses. They don't like leaving loose ends because every, everything for them is a war in the shadows. Well, they did. So, otherwise, we wouldn't know about them. Well, that is where Mode Gamma would come in because they are psionics trained. They have, again, the flare countermeasure, that flare countermeasure experts or FCEs. They have one simple purpose root out and destroy flare enclaves. So that means they would have people using clairvoyance and clairaudience to, and they would follow any tip that they can. Oh, this person disappeared. Three have disappeared in the past three months from this particular bad part of town yeah and there was this weird stuff on the ground we didn't know what it was you know mode gamma would put all that together and realize yeah that's like flare goo yeah we have a flare infestation here in the city and yeah I so think the bureau would i think the bureau would already have certain like algorithms monitoring the internet for like missing persons that have weird circumstances and First thing is they just add this additional thing. If this substance is found or if these uh, situation is, is associated with a missing persons report, then there might be fl uh, mind flare activity in the area. Yeah. Uh, send out uh, a team that specializes in, you know, having psionic resistance to investigate. Okay. For me, uh, I would think that the first thing you would do would be a drone air uh, survey of the area, okay? And by drone, I mean little mini drones that are flying around, you know, maybe the size of golf balls. Every one of them has a crystal in it that's the crystal that identifies uh, psychic phenomena. Because you know that from the, the description of the uh, Bureau 13 Carillion detector, there's like five or six or seven crystals in it, each one resonates to a different kind of supernatural power. So if you have the one that resonates to psychic energy and you start flying it around the area, but like a bunch of them, a whole bunch of them, flying around, because as we know, you know, uh, curling detectors operate like thermometers, okay? They have to move into the area where the energy is strongest to get a reading. You can't just go and say, oh, look, over there, I see psychic energy, you know, across the football field, okay? You have to go over there. So these things have to fly around. So any, so when, when weird things start happening, one of the first things that I always tell my players to do is why aren't you going and doing a survey of the town, seeing if you can pick up any, any energies. Now, sometimes, of course, they will pick up other energies. You know, you can get psychic energy from places with a lot of sexual activity uh, or places where people are very, very emotional, churches, uh, stadiums. Um, uh, cemeteries, you know, like, you know, so there's going to be some false positives, but, you know, to me, that would be the first step would be to say, these are the, these are the hot spots we're recording. Now let's send a team in 
I mean, well, I mean, the team is doing it. Now let's go in and eliminate the false, you know, the false positives uh, until we identify the best possible location. And that's when we start committing res major resources, especially um, assault resources, to that area. Okay. And uh, to me, that would be like number one. Okay. Secondly, uh, would be. Uh, having to do with the people who are really good with physical surveillance, especially in the area of negotiation, because there are these things that are called micro, um, oh, let's see, what are the, micro expressions. Okay, if you saw the television show Lie to Me, uh, these are supposed to be universal human traits, where when we feel something, see something, whatever, we pro we produce an expression, okay? This is unconscious because that's why it's universal. It just has to do with our physiology and the way our brains are wired. Somebody who is inhabiting a human body will probably not do those properly. Therefore, somebody who is well-trained in this would be able to identify the, you know, basically the uncanny valley in the group. You know, walk, you know, walking, uh, and that's where you start committing these kinds of people to do investigation once you've eliminated the false positives. You know, these people are valuable. Not everybody can do this. It takes a lot of training. Okay, I mean, you, you, there's some possibility of running it through um, taking film and running it through computer analysis. Okay, but still, the best, the best people to do it are actually live people. So this is a second way of identifying the presence of creature like a, a mind flayer. Okay, are there? Can you think of any other ways of identifying mind flayers besides detect mind flayer spell? Let's <laughs> uh, see. We've got the detecting psychic energy, detecting. Yeah, uh, like detect psionics would be yeah, like the the psionic yeah. version of detect magic. Yeah, right. I, I, um, that's that's what your um, your guys from you know the uh, the special force do because they come from a very uh, openly magical world. But you know, here in America, especially Bureau Thirteen likes to take tech use technology whenever it's available because then they can hand that off to people who are not magic users. You could possibly use um, tectonic activity if they are inhabiting like sewers or caves, underground layers, if they're expanding any. Oh, God, what do they call it? They Ground sonar. Them. Ground sonar, yeah. yeah. I can't say that you would rely on that, but that might help, you know, if, you, if you're not quite sure about a specific spot due to like, say, higher than average psychic you know, emanations, but it's a cemetery and you really want to make sure that it's really just graves under there. You could use it maybe then. Um, well, if you suddenly saw a lot of passageways under the ground and there was, it didn't match up with the sewer system or it diverged from the sewer system, then, you know, it could be, it could be other things too. It could be Morlocks. It could be, uh, you know, uh, uh, mole man, <laughs> it could be, be a lot of things. Okay, but so you know, it, it's it's not a bad technique just to just in general using you know basically, uh, and it's not actually it's not 
you use the word ground sonar, but I know that they use things like a, a very ground-penetrating radar as a way of detecting ancient uh, structure, uh, ancient uh, ruin sites in the Mideast. And um, it's also used for a, a number of other things, uh, detecting, you know, the level of groundwater and such. So, and again, this is something that can be housed in a drone that can fly over an area scanning to looking for possible weird things. Uh, it's also a good way of detecting people's uh, um, uh, un undeclared uh, uh, bomb shelters, uh, because we, we've had that happen. A you know, people were like, you know, decided to uh, dig a new, uh, 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 I'm sorry, uh, uh, septic tank. And they actually unearthed a, uh, 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 somebody's uh, uh, shelter. <laughs> I, and of course, there's people right now who are selling shelters like that. Say, hey, you know, why you you, you need a bug out hole or something like that, and and uh, you know, we'll sell it to you for like twenty thousand dollars. And it's you know, it has uh, heating, air, you know, has a one of those power walls in it and things like that. So uh, it, it's good for like a, a, at least six months, um, and. You know, hopefully by that time the emergency is over. So, as a matter of fact, do you think because of their predilection toward this, they would have a predilection toward investing and being in charge of industries that are subterranean in some way or another? You mean like mining corporations, drilling corporations? Yes. Um it seems like they would have a, a you know a sort of a obvious in in, in, in expertise uh, in that I would area. Well, if well yeah. Else, if nothing else, just to lead these corporations away from their layers. Exactly. Exactly. That's just what I was thinking. Thank you. Yeah. It's like no, we don't want to drill over here. We found a much better place for you to drill. Um, it helps if you're like this, uh, a, a vice president of the company when you say that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So you should also expect, so therefore, the Bureau could also go into major corporations that might be in these areas and might actually start, as you say, take that curling detector, start walking around, seeing if they start picking up some psychic energy coming out of this, the vice president of, uh, of, of new, uh, uh, of, of not research, but um, of ex, export, uh, exploration. You know, the and oh, hey, we're getting a reading from this this room. You know, it could be the secretary, could be the vice president uh, himself. You know, and my say secretary, I mean, of course, executive assistant. Yes, yes, yes. Because there aren't there, you know, secretaries don't the, exist the anymore. Partners. We don't have any secretarial pools anymore. <laughs> Administrative assistants, I believe, is the term. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, this is Bruce Sheffer saying. There are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast.
Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org, colon 8027.